I'm going to focus really on the last um, four verses from verse 50 to verse 53, but I'll read from a bit earlier first in context, um, beginning in verse 36, Luke 24, verse 36. Jesus appeared um, to his disciples, um, first on the day of his resurrection, then later in that afternoon, he has appeared again to the disciples on the road um, to Emmaus and revealed himself. And then finally to those who are sat um, waiting, um, talking about the things that have happened on the road. It says verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise from your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. The Ascension. Why does it matter? I guess if I asked you, you've got a minute or two minutes to explain the Christian faith to someone. Something I often ask people being interviewed at the school, when I'm interviewing to see if they are Christian believers, I say to them, you've got a minute um, to explain to a pupil the core message of the Christian faith. It does happen frequently at school. I'm often on my way out of a boarding house, and someone will literally ask me, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Usually as I'm trying to get home at kind of 10.30 at night. I'm not sure if it's some kind of ploy to, to go to bed later, or if they're generally interested. But it always seems to be just the wrong moment, so I never have quite enough time. You've got a, a minute to explain the Christian faith. What do you fit in? What things about Jesus... I hope you talk about Jesus. What things about Jesus... Do you put into your little kind of overview of the good news? Here's one thing I suspect wouldn't be there. The ascension. I guess I'd talk about the cross, perhaps about Jesus' miracles before that, about the nativity, his birth, going all the way about the incarnation. I might talk about his resurrection, but what I'd talk about is ascension. But I say, and then Jesus rose up into heaven. If I did, why would I tell them that? I guess it'd be tempted, tempting to, to be slightly embarrassed by the, the ascension. It seems sort of very supernatural that Jesus kind of went up into heaven, physically rose like sort of Superman perhaps up into the sky. It seems unbelievable in a inverted commas, scientific or, or, or rational age. 
It also points us towards a slightly embarrassing fact about the Christian faith, as it might seem to us, that Jesus isn't here. He is strangely absent. Again, thinking of the conversations I have at school, one thing that often comes up is this. Where's God? If God is real, why can't I see him? Or if if God were to appear to me and tell me he exists, I would believe in him. If Jesus could come and, uh, and tell me, like he told those people 2,000 years ago, who he was and what God was like, well then I would believe. And so it might seem like a, a slightly embarrassing fact that Jesus is gone. Something to be kind of pa- passed over in silence. Now we heard this morning, and we're here again this evening, that Jesus hasn't completely gone. But, but in one very real sense, he has gone. The disciples could, could touch him and speak to him and eat with him and drink with him. He was physically there before their eyes and, and now he is not physically before us. And would it not be easier if he was here? If we, we could see him? Is the ascension missing, as it were, from our overview of Jesus' life and work? And is that perhaps because at the back of our minds somewhere we're, we're slightly embarrassed that Jesus isn't here? Far from thinking the ascension is good news, it's, it's something that kind of explains a slightly awkward fact. The fact that Jesus seems like a, a very hands-off leader, who, as it were, handed the work over to his church and, and he's disappeared somewhere else and left us to, to get on with it. I want to see as we work through that actually far from being an afterthought, the ascension should be, if not in the first minute, certainly in the front and centre of our explanation of, of the Christian faith. It, it really does matter. What we don't see that actually the fact that Jesus is gone is it's not an embarrassing fact to be, as it were, papered over, but actually good news. It is good news that Jesus ascended into heaven. It is good news that he is not currently physically here with us. As much as we should want him to be, as much as we long for the day when he will be back and we will see him face to face, it is good for now that he is not here. So we come to those few verses from verse 50 through to verse 53. Um, four things, I think, about Jesus' ascension. Uh, the first is this. The ascension shows that Jesus is human. The ascension shows that Jesus is human. Now, that might not seem immediately like good news, but, but in some sense it is. It's certainly important news. You see... Because Jesus really was and is a human being, we can ask the question, where is he? You see, if, if Jesus were just a, a spirit or a ghost, if his, his body had, had rotted away and he's no longer as human as you and I, then there'd be no answer, I guess, to the question, where is Jesus? He's everywhere. He's with us all. He's everywhere. And at one level, as God, Jesus is everywhere. By his spirit, he is present with us. But because he is truly and really human, as human as as you and I, there is a genuine question, where is his physical human body? It it must be somewhere. You see, the Christian faith is is not a a philosophy, an abstract thing, but, but a historical belief. We believe certain facts about certain things that that happened physically in history and that involved a particular human being. And Jesus was 100% human. Indeed, he is 
100% human. And so we need to know where his physical body is. It, it matters. After all, if he really physically rose, and he is really not here, and I have not seen him physically here on earth, then the question comes up, well, where is he? And Luke is at pains to remind us that Jesus really is physically raised. We, we heard it in the past just before, how the disciples saw and touched him. And, and he watched, watched the eight. They watched him physically eat. Because they were concerned that he might just be a spirit or a, or a ghost. Luke labours the point that Jesus was physically raised because he was really human. And that matters for all sorts of reasons. He died our death and rose for our life. And to do that he had to be one with us. A non-human can't die in the place of, of one who is human. He had to be truly human. As one who's truly human, he knows our, our weakness and our frailty and, and sympathizes with us and understands what it is to, to be a man or a woman, to be a human being. It matters what we did for the Lord's Supper this morning. After all, how can Jesus be physically present here if he is physically in heaven in his human body? His body is in a particular place at the right hand of God. It's not here on earth, but he is ascended. And it matters, I said already, because it reminds us that the Christian faith is a historical faith. So I see to get across to people what it is that we believe. I won't first of all speak about how I believe that we should live, though the Christian faith has implications for that. What we believe about certain abstract philosophical questions, but I want to take people to the historical reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, of, of what he said and did, how he died and rose, and how he ascended into heaven. Things that are as historical as, as any other fact about the past. Jesus is a human being and that matters. The ascension matters it shows us that Jesus is a human being like you and I. And it shows therefore something central about the Christian faith. But thinking more sort of it were big picture, what else does it show us? Next thing I think the ascension shows us is that Jesus is the perfect king. He's a human being, but he's also the perfect king. He's the perfect king who rules for his people. After all, the ascension is described here in, in very physical terms. It's not just that Jesus went up, which I think puts paid to these ideas of Jesus like Superman flying up into the sky. He, he didn't raise himself up into heaven. He didn't fly up into the sky. He was carried up. He was lifted up. It's a notable thing in the Bible's account of Jesus' resurrection and ascension that they are never actions performed by Jesus. We often say Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible doesn't say that. It says Jesus was raised from the dead. It is always the act of someone else, the Father. Here, he does not go up into heaven. He is carried up into heaven. It's passive. He is lifted up by someone else, by his father. Why focus and emphasize that? Because it wants to show us that this is, as it were, the, the, the final and total vindication of him by his father. It's his father saying, this is the one who I have appointed. As Jesus himself said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Not I have taken it or, or won it, but it has been given to me. And here is the father declaring that Jesus is his king. That though he died a cursed death, accused of being a blasphemer, that no, he is God's chosen king. You see, the, the focus is less on where Jesus goes than on how he gets there, or more importantly, who gets him there. This is the, the father's, as it were, final and total vote of approval. If you were to go and go into the palace of, of Westminster, the House of the Parliament, and go to the House of Lords and see the great state throne that the king will sit on when he opens Parliament, and, and walk up and, and pull apart the, the red rope and go and sit on the throne, I suspect you'd be in quite a lot of trouble. You can't take yourself to sit upon the throne. Now, imagine, impossible it seems, the king there sat upon his throne, sees you out in the the audience behind the the peers of the realm, and points and and beckons you down, and says, no, come, come up. And and the lords part, and the the soldiers and the various bodyguards go off to one side, and he says, no, no, closer, 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 keep coming, keep coming up the steps, you go up the the red carpet, and he says, "Come come and sit next to me on the throne. Which I think is what the right hand of God means. In, in ancient paintings and pictures, we, we see ancient kings with, with someone sat on their knee or at their side on the same throne. The king says, come and sit on my throne. What a vote of approval and authority that would be. To sit with the king upon his throne. That's what happens at the ascension. That is the, the vote of, of approval. The, the backing that Jesus gets from his father. He says, come up. And sit with me upon the throne of the universe. You have the right and authority to rule that I have. What is mine is is all yours. Fulfillment of all those themes through the Old Testament. How Elijah was taken up to heaven in in a chariot of, of fire. How in Daniel 7 we see that one like a son of man will will sit upon God's throne and receive worship with him. And again, they might have scratched their head and said, well, how could one who looks like the Son of Man, like a human being, sit upon God's throne and receive worship and judge the peoples and come on the clouds in glory to defeat God's enemies? And here we get the answer as Jesus is carried up, is lifted up to be seated upon the throne of his Father. You see, this is a focus in the preaching that we see in Acts. After all, the ascension matters to Luke enough that he tells us about it twice, once at the end of Luke, What's the meaning of Acts? And again, as, as Peter preaches the first great sermon on Pentecost in Acts 2, he finishes on this note of exaltation and ascension, of God's approval of Jesus and his appointing of him as king. In Acts 2, verses 32 and following, Peter says, This Jesus, the one who, who died... God raised up. Again, note, God raised him. Not he rose as if he had power in himself. People sometimes say, well, Jesus couldn't stay dead because he was God. No, he could have stayed dead. He could have stayed dead. He was raised by his father. It wasn't automatic. He was raised as a vote of approval. This Jesus, God, raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Note how far Peter can go to say that Jesus has been made Lord and Christ at his exaltation and ascension. That by being put upon God's throne, he has in some sense taken on authority and power that he did not possess until he was there. An authority and power that he had laid aside in some sense. An authority and power that that he didn't have as a human being. The human Jesus was a human being like you and I. But but now that humanity has been put upon God's throne. That that not just as God, but as, as man, he can rule over all things. A human being now sits on, on the throne of the universe with God, approved by the Father as the one through whom he will do all things and for whom he will do them. If we imagine again that the king in inviting us to sit upon his throne, that would be a great sign of, of approval of the authority and power that we have. Imagine one being sat on, on the throne of, of God himself in heaven. That is good news. That is good news for those of us who, who, who follow Jesus. We know the one who is king of all things and who has all power. Who is indeed the, the perfect king promised in the scriptures. It is a challenge for us if we don't know Jesus. Because he is, as we heard this morning, already our king. He is already upon the throne of God. He is our Lord. If we rebel against him, that is a serious thing. Though he offers forgiveness and and new life and hope if we trust in him. But the ascension matters because so long as Jesus remained on on earth, in some sense he, he was a human being like us. Yes, he was God and had God's power in his divinity. But but as man he, he was a man. But now he has been enthroned. He has come, as it were, into his inheritance. He has come into his power that all things might belong to him. That is good news and is a challenge to us. Jesus is a human being. He is also the perfect king. The next thing to see is that the ascension shows us that Jesus is perfect priest. It's fascinating not just that Jesus is, is carried up, But again, the the physicality of the event is shown to us by Luke remembering what it is he's doing as he is raised up. Again, we might see artworks of Jesus, not too many I hope, as they put wrong ideas of Jesus into our head. But what is Jesus doing as he's raised? Well, the scriptures tell us. It tells us exactly what he was doing in the very act of being lifted up. As he went up into the heavens, we, we know what Jesus is doing. It says he he, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He was in, as it were, mid-flow of of blessing them as he was raised. Again, to the extent that we're told that his hands were raised, we're shown the, the particular, as it were, physical gesture that was occurring as he went up into heaven. Well, Why? First of all, it's obviously tying us back into an Old Testament theme. Thinking of the great blessing of of Numbers 6. Perhaps the very words that he was speaking as he raised up his hands in blessing. That the Lord would be gracious and and, and bless you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Those words that are to be said by Aaron and his sons over the people. 
Again, notable, isn't it? Because we know that the, 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 the scars were still in Jesus' hands as he raised his hands, we're reminded here, in blessing over his people. As he spoke blessing upon them. What's going on? Well, to, to raise your hands in blessing is, as it were, the plural of laying on your hands. You can lay your hands on one person to mark ownership, to, to put your name upon them. I can say, this is, this is mine, and lay my hand upon whatever it is. Or this is God's, the priest can say, and, and put their hand upon the animal to say it belongs to, to God. You raise your hands is when you're, as it were, putting your hands, laying your hands upon many people. Because I can't put my hand on more than one or two people's heads. Two, perhaps, if you like, um, Jacob, and sort of cross your hands over with Manasseh and Ephraim. But I can't, I, I can't, I can't put my, my hands on, on more than one or two heads at once, but I, I can lift my hands over a whole multitude of people and say, I'm marking ownership of all of you for someone. And for who? For God. God, the gracious God who, who will bless you. You will belong to, to him. Now, now, who does that? In the Old Testament, it's, it's the priest who does that. Um, the, the Levites, is, as well, will raise their hands in blessing, as we, we hear in Deuteronomy. Which is why still that the ministers of the gospel, who are Levites, we find out in Isaiah 66, that God will bring Levites from the Gentiles, that's ministers like me, who will raise their hands in, in blessing over the people, putting God's name upon them. But particularly here we think of the priest, Aaron and his sons. The priests will raise their hands. When? Well, Leviticus 9, we're told that Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. The priests raised their hands at the end of the sacrifice and put the name of God upon God's people. They said, now that the sacrifice has been made, or now that has happened, which the sacrifice points to, you now belong to God and he can bless you. The work of sacrifice is done. Your, your sin is dealt with. But you might be God's people. And he might claim ownership of you. And put his name upon you. As a holy people, a kingdom and priests. Saying as it were, mission accomplished. The, the sacrifice is, is made and it's acceptable. And now you belong once more to God. He will own you and, and hold you as his people. And, and as he is lift up into heaven. Jesus is in the act of saying that, like the priest at the end of the sacrifice. Mission accomplished. You now belong to God. There is no longer any barrier between you and him. He will take ownership of you and, and hold you as his own. He will bless you and keep you. He will be your God and you will be his people. Again, we see this picture in the New Testament. As, it, as in Hebrews, we, we read of, of Jesus after making purification for sin, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he, after completing his sacrifice, offering his life to the Father in payment for our sins, he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Work done. He, he sits. He sits his work complete. To do what? To hand things over to us and say, well, right, now, now it's over to you. Think of the last words of, of the Buddha. Do you know the last words of the Buddha? Everything passes away, cheerful. Um, work hard to achieve your own salvation. Last words of the Buddha. I've done my bit. Now it's over to you to, to save yourselves. Save yourself as I save myself. 
Jesus' last words, I don't know the exact words he used, but his last words on earth, the Lord bless you and keep you, Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And in the midst of saying it, he disappears. Because though his work is done, he continues to apply it to his people. His hands are still raised in heaven over the people that he has bought with his blood. To apply the forgiveness that comes through the cross to them. Because we do not have to work out our own salvation and save ourselves. He has saved us by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And he applies it as the great high priest whose hands are raised in blessing from the right hand of God's throne. The work is all his. He is in charge as king and he blesses his people as priest. Who is in charge of the universe? If you were, as it were, to to get into the control room of the universe, what will you find there upon the throne? As it were, a giant dice that kind of randomly pours out outcomes with with no particular rhyme nor reason. Like at the end of the Iliad, which I teach to 18-year-olds, where there's this picture of of Zeus having two great pots, one full of of good fortune and one full of bad fortune. He just kind of randomly picks one or the other and and tosses them out to people. And bad luck if you get bad luck and good luck if you get good luck. Zeus is blind. He doesn't even know what's in each of the pots. He He just tosses out some kind of fate for your life. And it might go well or badly. It's up to you. Is that what lies at the centre of the universe? Is it an empty throne? The Richard Dawkins idea that at the centre of the universe is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. No good, no evil, nothing but, but blind, pitiless indifference. No. No, at the control room of the universe, on, on the throne is, is a human being. Is a human being, a real, physical, flesh and blood human being, like you and I rules the universe. His name is Jesus and his hands are raised in blessing over his people to do them good, to declare that they belong to him and to the Father and to pour out every blessing that he has gone into heaven to receive. And after all he had to ascend into heaven to receive those blessings. We're told that. It's actually good news that Jesus has gone. He has raised, been raised up into heaven that from there he might pour out the Spirit in a way he couldn't do from earth. That he can bless us more. He didn't leave us because his work was no longer cared. He loves us so much that he has gone both to prepare a place, but also to send from the throne of the universe things that he can only send from there. Greater blessing he could have offered us on earth. After all, if Jesus was on earth, he could only go to one church every Sunday. He could only go to one church every Sunday. He would be real, physically real. I mean, his physical body could only be in one place. From heaven, he can be in every church. Or bring every church himself in heaven. Every Lord's table, as the table was shared this morning. Every person who in faith went to the table received Christ's body and blood in reality because they were lifted up to heaven. He becomes closer by being further away. As high priest from the friendly verse, he can do more good to us than he could from here. In the short term in Luke and Acts, we know he will pour out the spirit at Pentecost, which he couldn't have done from earth. Jesus is a human being. He is king. He is a priest. And finally, he is God. He is God. I mentioned this morning that there's often a misunderstanding about what it was like for the disciples in that period between the resurrection, ascension, and, and Pentecost. 
of a picture of them locked away, sort of terrified and, and having sort of given up. As if they didn't know what to do next. They thought it was all over. And it's true that they are in an upper room in, at the time of Pentecost. But here we see that far from being defeated, they were full of joy. Verses 52 and 53, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Not locked away, not hidden, not defeated, but full of joy. They're glad that Jesus has ascended. A reminder that they know that from there he can give them what he's promised the Holy Spirit. But more, at this moment, I think it finally clicks for them who Jesus is in a way which it never has before. They perhaps have been expecting God's king. We see that in the question that they asked at the ascension. We find in the other account of it in Acts that they asked, well, will we now receive the kingdom? Is this now the time when God is going to restore the, the physical kingdom of Israel? They perhaps, even at this stage, can't quite see that the full reality of who Jesus is and how to respond, respond to him. Luke is, is a very careful writer. He writes the best Greek in the New Testament, apart from perhaps Hebrews. He's also a very careful writer in the way he writes his narrative out. And this is the first time in, in Luke that people worship Jesus. The first time in Luke that people worship Jesus. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus had been worshipped. People had, had fallen down on their faces before Jesus before. But in Luke, here is the moment where the disciples finally get it and worship Jesus. They see that he's not just a, a great king, but that he is God. They see him lifted up and know where he is going. He is going, Daniel 7, to sit on the throne of God and have all power and authority over all things. They see that he has been so vindicated by God, that he can only be God come in the flesh. Finally, as it were, in, in, in Luke's account, this is the moment where, where the disciples, the apostles, get it. And they respond by, by worshipping him and by blessing God, presumably in the name of the Lord Jesus, in, in the temple courts. The Christian claim is, is, is not that Jesus is a good teacher. If he were just a good teacher, it wouldn't matter where his body is gone because his teaching could live on, regardless of if his body rotted in the grave or not. I guess there's a Christianized version of that, that, that as it were, keeps Jesus forever as the, the earthly Jesus. What, what do I mean? The temptations were to always think of Jesus as he was in, in the time of his, his earthly ministry. Jesus, meek and, and mild, although if we read of his earthly ministry, he's often not meek and mild. But, but Jesus, the, the, the humble one, the one who, who doesn't have power, who's rejected by men. And that is partially true. Because, of course, the ascension shows us that the Jesus who sits on the throne is that Jesus. They are physically continuous with one another. That the Jesus of his earthly ministry is that he sits upon the throne. But also something happens here that, that, that the Jesus of the earthly ministry becomes the Jesus of the heavenly session. The Jesus enthroned and ruling over all things. The Jesus who will meet again in, in Revelation chapter 1. His hair blazing white. His voice like thundering waters. The Jesus revealed to be the one who had been seen by Ezekiel. 
in the Old Testament and by Isaiah in the temple. Jesus is not just a good human teacher who told some nice parables and showed us a good way to live. He is God. He is God himself come to earth to work our salvation and now enthroned as king and high priest over all things to rule the church and do us good. Do you see how the attention opposes both extremes? He's not just a good teacher, but he's God enthroned. But he's not just God enthroned, distant and unknowable, but, but Jesus Christ, the, the human being who we can see and know from the gospel accounts. He is the one who gave a sermon on the mount, but he now sits upon the throne of heaven. You see, for the non-Christian, so easily the ascension become, as it were, a problem. Why doesn't Jesus appear to me? Why is he gone? But in fact, it's a, a challenge. What will you make of the one who now sits upon the throne of heaven and has all God's authority? The ascension forces us to, to, to account for the claim that Jesus is God. I guess if you finished the gospel a bit earlier, perhaps about the resurrection as well, you, you might just have had the question, well, do I believe what Jesus taught? But it's not just, what did Jesus teach? But, but who is Jesus now? And who is he to me? And how must I respond to him? Because God has put him on the throne. And from there, all blessing comes through Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Now, now there remains, as it were, a, a cliffhanger. Because, of course, as the disciples are told in, in Acts, the same Jesus who has gone up will come down. He will return. He has to physically rise to remind them that one day he will physically descend. He will come back at the second judgment to judge all things, to complete, as it were, the picture of, of Daniel 7 as the Son of Man finally and utterly defeats all of God's enemies. But, but already Psalm 110 has been vindicated. I encourage you to go away and once again read Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, which reminds us both of Jesus' ascension and enthronement as, as king, the Lord who sits at the right hand of the Lord, but also of his priesthood as the, the high priest in, in the order of Melchizedek, who, who blesses and, and pours out blessing upon his people. All that is already fulfilled as, as Jesus is raised. As brief as this description is, do you, do you see the resonance of it? The, the lifted hands, the, the blessing, the, the being carried up rather than raising himself. The worship that he is offered by his disciples. The expectation and hope that now God will fulfill all his promises to Israel as they, they run to the temple courts to wait for the blessing that Jesus has promised. As always... It's a challenge to us. Do, do we take Jesus as seriously as we should? Do, do we know that he is seated right now on the throne of heaven? And that he is real. He is real. He's not a physical character. Jesus is as alive as you and I. He is as physical as you and I. He has a heart and, 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 and blood, bones and, and flesh. He is a real, physical human being located in a real, physical place.
though the right hand of God and heaven is hard to understand. But, but what we can understand about it is that Jesus is there and he is physical. He is physical, he's a human being. Take him seriously as a human being, take him seriously as king. That he has all of God's power and authority. The problem I face, Jesus can deal with it. Whatever a decision I face, Jesus must be the one who decides what the answer should be. Take him seriously as priest. That his work is complete. I don't need a priest on earth. I don't need to work my own salvation. He has done it all. Do I take him seriously as, as God? Not as a good teacher to introduce to my friends. But as God seated upon God's throne. Like I said before, one of the constant challenges of Christian life is to remember that it's all completely real. It is the most serious thing that we have ever been told that we believe. And it is all as, as, as real as the physical things I can see that surround me. The Christian faith is a great reality concerning Jesus, who is both human but also God's king and priest and indeed God himself seated upon the throne. Let's pray and give thanks for that. Lord Jesus, we once more hail you as king, as priest, as the final and perfect prophet. We rejoice that you are ascended, that you might bless us more from the throne than you could by your presence on earth. And we long for your return. Until the day when you descend as you ascended, would we give our lives, our whole hearts, souls, mind, all our strength to you. To serve you, and in serving you, to be blessed by you. Amen.